Hello and welcome to the European Conversations podcast. I'm Kirsty Hughes and today I'm in conversation with Susanna Oberhauser, who is the Director of the European Parliament Liaison Office to the UK, which is based in London. Susanna, it's great to talk to you today and thank you for agreeing to do this podcast with me. I wanted to ask you, first of all, what is the role of the European Parliament in the UK? Now we're not in the European Union anymore. So what are the main things it does? What is your role? Hi, hi. Good afternoon, Kirsty. It's a pleasure for me to talk to you this afternoon here from London. Um, greetings to Edinburgh. So yes, as you mentioned, we, our office here in London is it's the liaison office of the European Parliament. We are in Europe House, uh, premises that we share with the with the diplomatic branch of, of the EU, the European External Action Service. And our office, in a way, is, is really um, quite, quite exceptional in a way. It's only one of two offices the European Parliament has outside the EU. Um, we have, in a way, in, evolved from being a member state uh, a liaison office into, into an office in a third country that brought some changes uh, to, our, to our functioning. In so far as uh, one focus of our operations, obviously, is now to support the parliamentary relations between the European Parliament, Westminster, but also the, the devolved parliaments. So we here try to facilitate those contacts that members have, be it facilitating visiting delegations in, in, in both directions, supporting the works of the Parliamentary Partnership Assembly, which is a body that has been created under the Trade and Cooperation Agreement, and where the the, the PPA is the, the kind of parliamentary structure under in this framework uh, to scrutinize the executive, the Partnership Council. So we support those meetings. We just we have had now three meetings all together. The last one being in London in in December, and we will have a forthcoming and and the last one before the European elections uh, in in March in in Brussels. So supporting these interparliamentary exchanges is one key priority area of our, of our action here. The other action is really more of a traditional liaison office. Uh, in a way, some many of the activities have been done before already. But this time, probably we have a stronger focus on, on EU citizens living in the UK. We organize outreach events, we organize cultural events, uh, exhibitions, screenings for those European citizens living here, but also other in interested uh, people in the EU, um, people who want to maintain the connection. And we see Europe House here really as a hub for those to, to, to come together. So and well, as UK citizens, including people mm -hmm. in Scotland, they are welcome to interact with your office and with the, the things you offer on your website or real real life events and so on. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, unfortunately, we no longer have a, an office in, in, in Edinburgh where we could sort of physically host more, but we intend to to, to broaden our cultural outreach and to take it also beyond London. So with traveling exhibitions, for example, we are 
we had at the beginning of the year, at the occasion of the 25th anniversary of uh, the Good Friday Belfast Agreement, we had an exhibition on John Hume as one of the architects and member of the European Parliament. And this exhibition will now tour in Northern Ireland as from next week. So we, we will slowly try to bring our activities also to the, to the devolved nations. So that, that's something... And just not to forget, we also have quite an extensive educational outreach program targeted at young people, a secondary school. So we have a European Parliament Ambassador School Program. We offer educational sessions in schools all around the UK where a, a trainer would come. Also, schools are welcome to have those sessions here in Europe House in London or online. So there's a variety of activities and also the possibility to engage with centrally organized uh, events like the Euroscholar program that is conducted in, in Strasbourg, uh, the European Youth Event, this huge gathering of young people um, in Strasbourg every two years. So, and we have the possibilities to also include uh, UK young people in this in these schemes, and you really the UK is the only other the, the only country outside outside the EU who has the possibility to to participate in all those programs, and we are very proud that we managed to do this, and we are very very much committed to 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 strengthen that. That sounds great, and I'm sure that's very welcome across the UK, but I know in, in Scotland there would be lots of willingness to interact with you on, on all those different areas. I mean, in in Scotland there's been a lot of discussion around rejoining the Erasmus scheme, and I mean, from the European Parliament point of view, if, if the UK wanted to rejoin Erasmus or, or equally the government agreed with Scotland rejoining it, pr presumably that would be another plus to add to all the things you're doing already. Absolutely. I mean, the European Parliament has in its, in its uh, text, uh, when it reviewed the, the first two years of functioning of the Trade and Cooperation Agreement, it, uh, it has explicitly uh, stated its regret that the UK is no longer in Erasmus. And the, our Committee on Cultural Education came to Scotland last year, focusing really on what can we do for, in order to um, mobilize youth exchanges and, and finding solutions. Um, now, be that in a UK rejoining Erasmus, be that in, in, in other forms, but there is, a, there is a great interest from our committee and um, they are just preparing as well now again a hearing where also the devolved administrations will take place. So, yeah, so that, that, that there when, is when really... When will that be? When will this hearing be, do you think? I have to confirm the date, but I know that Angus Robertson is confirmed to, to participate in it. And that will be in Brussels at the European Parliament? Yes, yes in, the, in, the, in its Committee on Culture and Education. Okay, that sounds that sounds great. And you mentioned Northern Ireland, and of course, UK EU relations have been through a lot of ups and downs because of Brexit and and the Northern Ireland Protocol. Now the Windsor Framework was was at the heart of a lot of that after mm -hmm. years of of furore here over over Brexit it, itself. Do do you think UK EU relations have have got more positive since the Windsor Framework was agreed? Is is your work a bit easier in that sense? I think absolutely, absolutely. I think the year 
Um, how we call it here, 2023 was a good year for EU-UK relations, started with the Windsor framework, uh, ended, ended now with uh, rejoining uh, Horizon. Also, in a way, a, a, a positive uh, element was the, the delay of the uh, tariff on, on, on e-vehicles. Uh, that that was just decided before Christmas. So I think we are now in a more in a more constructive uh, relationship where one can define what are the problems. Um, one can look at what is in the interests in the interests of both parties, obviously, and then trying to 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 find pragmatic solutions to those uh, to those issues at stake. And. Obviously, we're expecting a. We've got the European Parliament elections coming, and then maybe before, but probably after a UK general election. And Keir Starmer, the opposition Labour opposition leader, has indicated he he would like to build closer relations with the EU on the one hand, but on the other that he's not going to rejoin the single market or the customs union. And there are small things one can imagine happening, such as aligning with the EU food and animal and plant mm. standards. Do you think there is scope to go much further than that? I mean, in, in general, people have tended to say you can't do too much. You can improve things a bit within the trade and cooperation agreement, but, but you can't go very far if you've got red lines still. And Keir Starmer seems in that sense to have the same red lines as the current UK government. Yeah, well, I think there is one obvious area for future cooperation, and that was something that was actually already envisaged at the time in the political declaration, and that was cooperation on foreign and, and security policy. So the EU is very, very much interested to move this into a into a more structured framework. So there is certainly that could be a, a, an area to work on. There are other issues that can still be also done within the trade and cooperation agreement. We have now seen um, enhanced cooperation on on, on energy also on on um, on security on counterterrorism so there are there are areas where 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 a lot of can be done and i think then it 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 depends also to you know first of all let's use what we have in terms of of frameworks and then if it is demonstrated that there is something missing and then that and there is an interest in on both sides, then I think the, the EU would look at that um, very, very pragmatically and, and, and constructively, as it has done with the Windsor framework and and other, on other decisions. That sounds very encouraging. There, There is, of course, as you know, there's a debate in the UK, the European movement in the UK is very keen to see the UK rejoin the EU. I suspect that's maybe a long way off, but the debate is there. And there's a debate in Scotland about independence in the EU. And I know these are all very politically sensitive questions, but the UK is still a European country, isn't it? And Scotland, if it was a recognised independent state, would be a European state. So in theory, they're both eligible in that in that case to apply to join again if they wanted to. Of course. I mean, before answering to your question, I mean, I must say when I 
visited Scotland uh, at the end of last year, I was really, what struck me most was this deep feeling of cultural connection that Scotland has with the Scandinavian countries, with, with the Netherlands, uh, the common heritage and this feeling of being really a part of an integral part of, of the cultural heritage of Europe. So, and so, you know, that if anything was needed, it made it clear that obviously uh, Scotland is, is, is a European, is a, is a European nation. And, uh, you know, I'm, It's not for me to speculate about independence. This is really something internally to the UK for the Scottish people, but also for the for the for the UK government. So th th this is nothing on which we we would speculate. But um, was uh, Scotland uh, in 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 a position um, to 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 apply for membership? Then I think its application would be treated as any other application from a from a European country. I think that's right. And it's it's interesting to hear your impressions of your visit to Scotland in, in autumn. And it was lovely to meet you then. Uh, from my point of view, it seems that I don't think the UK will try and rejoin soon. But if it did, it would have a lot of political debate across the EU about it, I think. Let, let's move on briefly and finally from UK-EU relations to the European Parliament elections. You're, you're sitting, of course, your job outside the EU in the UK, but um, there are millions of EU citizens in the UK. So what will your main role as we head into this election months be? Um, yes, thank, thank you for that. So in a way, the institutional campaign that the parliament is running is well underway since last year, where we really focused uh, on for the citizens to understand that the decisions that are taken by the European Parliament affect citizens in a number of ways and in, in a very profound manner. So, and once we have now established that, that, that framework, we are now moving on to stress that it is actually for each and every European, each and every European not only has a stake in these elections, but also has a vote in it. And, and that this vote uh, shapes the policies and, and, the, and the underlying decisions taken by the European Parliament. And that then fits into also the wider democracy theme. I mean, democratic engagement is also a means of, of giving legitimacy to the EU, to its institutions, and, and finally to European democracy itself. And, and there, that brings me then to the nearly 5 million citizens who are, who are EU citizens who are living in the UK and who have uh, potentially a large number of those have the right to participate in those uh, European elections. Now, what will be different this time is that uh, EU citizens living in the UK will be uh, can only vote for their for the lists of their countries of origin. There are no longer UK lists uh, as 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 it was still happening at the last elections, where uh, we still had European elections in in the UK. So th so there is a new. This is a is, is a new scenario now. It is uh, participating in the election under the modalities of each and every single individual uh, EU member state. So there is no uniform European electoral law. It's all 
it is all governed by na by national electoral laws. So our task, therefore, is first to inform EU citizens that there are European elections, that they are eligible and how they are eligible to participate in those elections, um, what are the conditions, the mod modalities, and, 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 the, and that is quite a huge, a huge feast because in a way we have to run um, over the two, two dozens of, of, of campaigns to target the different groups. And that is of the different dia diaspora groups, national groups. So this is not something also we, we can do on our own. Um, and for this, we are depending very highly on, on partners, on 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 organizations we work with. Uh, we had in December last year um, the second uh, EU citizens gathering here in London, and there was also uh, a number of uh, organizations from Scotland participating. And uh, this was, a, was in a way the, the kickstart for building relations with these organizations to see how what what we can give to them and how they can support us in 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 spreading the word in informing about the elections and 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 the modalities for participation it's it's a huge job but it's a really important one and it sounds like you're you're really on top of it but you're going to have a busy a busy few months i'm sure we could talk for much longer but susanna thank you very much for talking to me today and i'll well, we'll leave it there for this time well thank you very much Kit. Kirsty, it was a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. There we must leave this European Conversations podcast. I'm Kirsty Hughes and I was in conversation with Susanna Oberhauser, Director of the European Parliament Liaison Office in the UK.